0: Close to the mic, that might be. Hello, and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm the guest host today, Ed Lucy, and my guest mm-hmm. is Keith Tanard, the current counselor from Ward 7, school committee, excuse me. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm telling you your future. <laughs> <laughs> but before I get to talk to Keith, I wanted to t- touch on two uh, public announcements. They were uh, in the local newspaper the other day. And I, I think it's worthwhile if the public becomes aware of, the, aware of it if they don't already know about it. And that is, is the City of Marlins Cemetery Board of Trustees has voted to pre-sell 25 niches in the crem- cremation section of the uh, wall which is in the Forestdale Cemetery. So for someone who's getting uh, planning on their when they pass on to get cremated and they would like to be in a local cemetery because there's a limited space there. I don't even know if there's any active movement of selling lots now in the cemetery. But if you were going to get cremated, there's some, there's some uh, requirements to be eligible, one of which is uh, there can only be one entry per household that the uh, drawing is going to be... Uh, Oh, the deadline is going to be April 30th. So you have to submit an application by April 30th. And the drawing itself is going to be on the first floor of the city hall, which is a council chambers, And that's on uh, uh, June 12th. And there's, uh, there's a limit to 25. So um, my recollection was there was some cemetery lots sold some years ago. And... Um, there was more than 25, I think, at that time. There were, but there were, f- there were uh, far more uh, people that applied than the, the lots that were available. So again, this is 25 niches on the crema- crema- cremation wall. And again, just to repeat it, you have to uh, submit by April 30th, and the drawing itself is going to be June 12th. You don't have to be at the drawing, but you you just have to do the necessary work that that is. Uh, required to be eligible. And if you have any questions about it, it's 781-322-2368. Oh, I'm sorry. 781-322-2360. The second thing, which is even more important for many people, um, if you're a homeowner of a three-family or less here in Malden, you've lived in the home for at least a year, you're eligible for re- 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 real estate exemption which means you save about 30% on your real estate tax if you qualify. But you have to be a resident of the home. You have to be three families or less. And uh, the most important part is you have to submit an application by April 3rd. And that application would include that you have to have evidence of your residence in the city of Maldon in January of 2022 which you can do with two utility bills, obviously because they're in your name, and that's the um, the usual criteria. And the savings is uh, 30%, I believe, which is uh, uh, substantial. And Marlin's one of the few communities that that, uh, has that program in place. Uh, The interesting thing is when it first started years ago back in, uh, I think, in the... uh, early 90s, uh, one of the councils at that time proposed it was 10%, then it went to 20%, and now it's 30%. And the difference is the Marlin collectors, uh, uh, the same amount of taxes, but the the, the uh, difference between the people that get the abatement and those that have to pay the full amount, um, they're the ones that pay the, uh, the the savings that the people get who live in the home. That includes, of course, the real the residentials uh, that are greater than um, three-family, which would more commercial-like uh, properties, uh, apartment houses and so forth, and uh, and also uh, commercial property owners. So anyway, that's the public announcements. And Keith, being a uh, school committee person from Ward 7, this is your first term. It is. And maybe uh, since it's a ward-based uh, election, tell, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background, which would kind of uh, educate the people who are watching the show on from Ward Seven or don't know you.
1: Um, well, I, you know, I, I make a joke on the doors, which is uh, you know I've, I've lived in Walden since. I went and I moved in with uh, my girlfriend, now my wife, back in November 2001, over in the Grover Street apartments, and so uh, that makes me. Uh, 20 year, 20 year plus resident of Malden, which makes me a newcomer. Um, oh, almost a townie. Almost, not almost. in Charlestown,
0: but here in Malden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, you know, previous to that, I, I lived in Watertown. Um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. My son just had his his first, and uh, his wife just had their first kid. Uh, and he just turned a month old uh, as of today, actually. Grandpappy, then <laughs> something like that. We haven't figured that part out yet. Uh, which I'm, but I'm very proud to go and be, uh, you know, a grandfather and proud to be a proud to be a father. Um, uh, my mother was an educator and a nurse, um, and my family's always had a background in in making sure that we go and we have a finger in education. And I initially, when I went to college, I wanted to go and be a teacher and I just, I was not a great student. Uh, and uh, when I came back to it, I think, I saw this opportunity to come in and try to go and give back to, to some of the kids in Malden to go and make sure that we're going and and doing what we can to have a strong school system, to make sure that uh, the people in the neighborhood feel represented, and when they have a complaint or if they have a comment or a concern, they have someone that's willing to go and talk to them, and it's not, you know, who do I talk to? It's, oh, I talked to Keith. And that's really what, uh, you know, the people that have called me, I hope that I've, I've been able to go and help them, and uh, I, if anyone else has an issue, I hope that they, um, feel comfortable in calling me and, and saying, hey, something's going on with my kid, or even if it's like, hey, my kid's doing great, and continue doing what you're doing.
0: Uh, if, uh, typically, what kind of calls do you tend to get? You know, I used to find out from sometimes talking to some elected like officials that they sometimes get calls that get absolutely nothing to do with their position, but I don't know if that's true with you in the school
1: committee. Um, not, not so much, I mean, it's, it's, it's focused. Most of the calls that I've gotten have been from concerned parents saying, you know, they've got a situation, and then it's a matter of, you know, guiding them to where they're going to get the best uh, resolution. You know, uh, sometimes it's a matter of going in and and just being that listening ear. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of going in and making sure that uh, we've got our administration actually going and properly going and, and, and taking care of these kids. Um, uh, I have to go and say I'm very happy with uh, the responsiveness of, um, the superintendent and, um, she's always, uh, taking my calls. I haven't had to go in and chase her for things. And typically I've gotten a resolution that I can then go and bring to the parent or, you know, when I check back with them, Hey, did you talk with the superintendent? I did. They were able to go on and, uh, help with what was going on. You,
0: you recently had a situation that was um, I, I think probably somewhat controversial uh, although there wasn't a lot of public exposure prior to it and that is the, the change over from what, what the uh, AEAP, AEAP program and uh, uh, interesting enough uh, scheduling you for, you were one of the two votes against the, the change in proposal and um, the the thing is that was a program in, in place in, in one form or another for a long time and and, and uh, maybe kind of give a, a little bit of a background to the program and how it, it the change it has some effect on the, not only the um, future students but some of the current students.
1: Yeah, I, so the AEA P program was something that was put into place a long time ago.
0: Like a major work class, basically.
1: Yeah, basically, it was uh, to go and take kids that uh, that were excelling in school and give them kind of a uh, a concentrated place where they could go, they could be with other kids that were excellent, and um, you know, give them a, a place to really excel. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it kind of languished, uh, languished through the years. It was. Uh, Teachers weren't giving tr- giving correct training. they were kind of going off of old old methodologies. Um, things have gone and replaced it. Um, there's a lot of problems with uh, parents that if they had one kid that got into the program, um, getting another trying to get like uh, a sibling that may or may not have uh, met the requirements, uh, getting them also into the program just so that they could go and they could get. The convenience of having being able to pick up both kids from the same school, um, and I think that you know when we looked at this, and we looked at this originally uh, when I was first elected, as an equity issue because I think there was a lot of um, there's a lot of problems with we had students that and families that English might not have been their primary language and they weren't being told that they had access to apply for this. Um, And once we got that out of the way, I think it was just a matter of then going and taking a look and seeing what the numbers were and seeing how those kids that were in that classroom were doing compared to the other students. So right now, um, when we started going and looking at the results that we were going and seeing out of the classroom, We weren't seeing that there was a lot of difference between the kids that were in this specialized classroom and you would think that you would have these gifted, supposedly gifted students that would go and actually go and show real growth, explosive growth. And we didn't see that.
0: Well, uh, um, in theory, the purpose of the... uh, this program, uh, the major work, or whatever the terminology is currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the idea that because you had gifted children or highly um, hopefully motivated kids, and that they weren't challenged sometimes in let's say in in a, in a uh, usual environment within a class, so therefore by separating them out, you'd you'd be giving them advanced programs of which it which would keep them, Um, elevated in terms of what they accomplish and what they learn and therefore in the long range it would benefit them Um, I know one time years ago when it was called the major work class I talked to one of the administrators in the school and uh, the program itself ended at the high school level, uh, entering high school in in those days it was the the ninth grade or the 8th grade depending on the the mix of the uh, uh, elementary, middle school or the, the, the junior high as it used to be and um, they uh, were c- children in the school system who, who were together for a number of years because they uh, they were in, the, in this major work uh, cl- program and um, supposedly in some instances once they got to high school and they, all of a sudden they were now thrown in with everybody else whether you're prepared for college and with the kids obviously in that program that weren't in the college course at the earlier ages or whatever it ended up that the uh, there was a little bit of difficulty adjusting to the fact you weren't in the classes that you'd been in with for any number of years with the same children and it ended up you kind of like rather than being an advantage it it socially became a little bit of a disadvantage at the high school level so I don't know whether that was one of the issues but
1: um, yeah I mean it was one of the factors on because I think that you know with the new uh, with the new program that the um, uh, that the school is promoting their their honors program you don't have that issue and I think we're going to go and see some real some real results come out of that um, because I think you're going to have these kids that have been socialized and if we have a kid that excels in one and one aspect of ed, uh, of their education, but not another, um, they can still go in and continue on that honors program, that honors loop for that particular thing. So yeah. if we have a kid that's, you know, particularly creative and, and likes to go and write, uh, they can excel in that. They'll go and they'll get the challenges that they need. But if they don't excel so much in, in mathematics or in sciences, um, they can still go in and Meet with people that are at at their level, and not get either. As so often as what happens, you go and you have an honors kid that great in one thing, but not so great in the other, and you either go and they either struggle through the whole program, or you have to go and put them at the lower levels throughout. Which then, at that point, you have a kid that needs to get that challenge in in writing or in math or in science, and yeah they might be doing well in some of those other programs that they were kind of not great in, but then they get bored in those other classes and kind of drags them down
0: in in, um, in the program that was just to change, uh, if you qualified and were in this advanced program, were they were they uh, were they classes in each of the middle schools? For that, or do you have to go to a particular school in order to be in that program if you're eligible uh,
1: for the, the honors program? That's yeah. going to go and get expanded to all the schools. All the schools. Yeah. So so it won't you don't have to go to not a this current
0: program, but the, the plan that was in yeah existence. not the
1: AEAP that's going to get wound down. Right. Um, I'd like to have seen that get wound down maybe a little slower because we do still have those kids that are in that program, and I think that. Uh, making that transition from that it's one of the reasons that uh i voted no this last time it's just because i would like to have seen uh it get wound down but you know we're a democracy and it it got voted to that to, to wind it down completely and in 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 reality the situation is is that we've um you know, we haven't gone and added new students for, for a few years now at the, at the low levels anyway because of coming out of COVID and then doing this whole reassessment of, you know, whether the program's actually doing good or doing harm.
0: Yeah. Now, the, the, uh, the Linden School has a different focus than the other schools in terms of the educational process, isn't it? Uh, isn't that the way it's done?
1: Uh, historically, yeah, it's been, it's been wanting to go and concentrate more on STEM, so, you know, science and and, and math. Um, I think that we're going to go and see... Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, the initial intent was to go and build focused schools throughout. So, like, you would have Lyndon would be the STEM school. Maybe there would be a creative school somewhere. I don't think that ever came really came to fruition past Lyndon. Um, we've been going and transitioning back to a... Um, Back to a neighborhood school program, because I think that just works better that way you don't have kids having to walk across the city to go in and get to their particular their particular school for that one thing
0: the um, um, past that you came into the office a year ago in January. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of in the middle of the coronavirus problems related to what's uh, happened in, in in general in society. Uh, were you surprised to to, to to the degree how much that impacted the the, the class process?
1: Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I, you know, and I'll and I'll say this with all honesty. You know, bless our teachers and our our, our school staff and uh you know i think we went and we when everything got shut down and it needed to until we got a handle on things until we had vaccines and you know proper cleaning techniques we suddenly had to go and switch from kids every day going to school to going to online and i think in a in a city like malden where we have uh we have such a wide range of income. We have uh, families that, you know, that are working two jobs to make ends meet and to pay the rent. There were a lot of great families that tri- that figured it out. But no matter what, there was going to be some sort of learning loss. You know, it's hard to go and ask, a, you know, a parent to go or a caregiver to go, not only go and work their job and make sure that they're going making ends meet but also making sure that their kid logs on and is doing all the stuff and doing what they need to go and do to um, get things done. And if you had multiple children in the house sharing, sharing a computer, there was going to be some loss because there's just gaps there that we just could not make up. It'd be great if every kid could have gone and had a computer, a separate room, and an individualized tutor at home to go and make sure that they're going and following things. But I think the parents did the best they could with what they had. Of course, we're going to have some learning loss. Uh, One of the things that actually I think is good is that we're actually bouncing back a lot faster than I thought we would. Um, We're not where I'd love to go and see our our test results and of course you know as we go through our MCASs, we're going to see what happens but i think we're i think we're in much better shape than than some of the other uh cities and towns around us
0: yeah you mentioned that multiple multiple students and one computer at home that would definitely be a problem uh with trying to ration the time so you could accommodate this teacher and the and the student uh, you know i'm sure that turned into a uh, logistic problem with, in, in a lot of families. Uh, the um, The consensus seems to be that, by virtue of that complication, which was a severe limitation on on the options that were available, that the the level of learning really digressed a great great deal during this transition because it really covered two two school years. It overlapped two school years. And even though when you came back, um, this was actually the first year that you came back on the on a full full time basis on in person study.
1: Yeah, and and uh, I think that that we're actually going and uh, we seem to be doing really well. Uh, it's um, we've got a lot of uh, like I said, we'll have to go and wait and see what goes and happens through MCAS. But um, you know we're, we're getting back up to where in terms of attendance in terms of um, you know testing the students seem to be going and doing a lot better they were a lot more um, I guess uh, doing doing more excellently than I and and it's always a good thing to go in here and uh, also when we went we we had that uh, the vote to go going, and you know, remove the mass That you know, I visited uh, the ferryway. You know, shortly afterwards, and those kids were, you know, half them with masks, half them without. They're just more resilient than I think that uh, we've given them credit.
0: Did you? Was it difficult sometimes to get the kids to conform to the rules that, that were implemented? To, to start opening up the schools because it was just this past September that mm-hmm. they came back but they still wore mask at that time um,
1: <laughs> this year in September yeah they still have, the, there was, we were we were on a uh, mask is optional so if you if the kid wants to come in and wear a mask all the time that's fine um, and I think that that's a good way to go and do it because I think um, there are still families out there that are very um, and righteously so in, anxious about going and catching covid um they may have had bad experiences through the pandemic Um, and uh, i think that you know if we have a kid out there that feels comfortable wearing the mask and wants to wear you know all day long then go for it um i think that we can be respectful of that like we're respectful of so many other things
0: so some kids still do wear the mask oh yeah and um, and that's also on the buses they could that's optional
1: now well, we don't have buses anymore, so.
0: Well, I'm really behind time.
1: Yeah, you really are. Right. <laughs> How do they get to school? Feed or drop off.
0: Which is family-driven.
1: Yes. Okay. But yeah, well, we do it for for our special needs students, we do have we do have busing. So yes. Right.
0: But but the uh, they did they kinda did away with the uh, open school situation when you could have kids from any part of the city going to any given school. Now it's it's school based uh, neighborhoods, isn't it? We're
1: trying to make it neighborhood based as there's uh and that's one of the that's one of the challenges we're gonna have in the next few years is that uh you know, our schools are actually filling up. Uh Ferryway right now is at capacity. I think B B's at capacity. Um and mm, our numbers are, are good. People want to live in Malden, and, you know, again, we've had this history of going and having a good school system, and I think, I think we're good and getting better every day. Um, but that also means that we need to kind of do some capacity planning and saying, okay, two, two full schools, and if we have a kid that lives in Ward 7, you know, do we put them to Salemwood or, is, or Forestdale? Well, uh, Forestdale
0: is a distance.
1: Horsedale would be the distance, but if that's a place where we've got room at this point, we have to educate them. Do we, need, do we need to start going and thinking about, is there a school that we can expand? Do we have to go and look and see if there's a footprint somewhere in the city to go and add another school? It's it's something we have to seriously consider.
0: Well, is there any, any consideration or discussions going on currently in terms of Maybe building a school somewhere within the city to accommodate the increased population?
1: I mean, not that I've been made aware of, but I go and I talk about it and every chance I can get, because I yeah. think it's, you
0: know. I think I was, the last numbers I saw, there's 6,000 6, uh, students in the public schools of Marlin?
1: 6,400 and some odd change, so. Okay, yeah. So.
0: And... Um, is is the and the high school is tight for space as well? I assume maybe more so than some of the other schools.
1: Yep, yep, yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of um, circumstances are working against public school. Maybe not just Marlin, because uh, as these things come up, um, the, the, the parochial schools become less of an option. Either sometimes they've gone out of business, so to speak, or they closed. Uh, or they uh, they are um, at a point where they have a, uh, limited seating options anyway, and then on top of that, um, it ends up that um, uh, there's a, a land problem in than It, it maybe in um, looking back, what the city should have done years ago is not sold the Maplewood School. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, possibly that they they should have gone and maybe thought about that yeah. before. But you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, we will have options. I think that are that are coming up. We might have to go and make some hard decisions as to uh, how we get our kids those, that education. How we go and make sure uh, we get the space for them to learn. Um, you know we always talk about class sizes well class sizes depend on do you have the space to go and and to put the kids in and to go and hire those extra teachers you know um, so it's always going to be a struggle and especially in Malden I mean we're what seven square miles no not even Five, five, five square miles so you know we don't have the resources uh, I remember, a discussion with someone they said why can't we do like newton i'm like well newton has something like 20 20 square miles uh we just don't have that land resource um so we're going to have to get creative in some spaces and like i said if there's an option if we find a space where uh a business is going out or where um you know might have to go and sacrifice some green space to go and say hey What's more important, a, a, a green space or a school, than just figuring out, you know, just when and where we do that, and then just trying to go and then get that balance.
0: Uh, in fact, it, it, uh, even at that, the, um, the student there—I uh, don't know exactly—but how many Marlin students attend the Northeast Regional Vocational? Do you have any idea?
1: Um not off the top of my head. I, I, ballpark. Ballpark. Uh, I think maybe a hundred, if that. Oh, that's that's it's all. Not, it's not it's not a huge amount. Oh. But that being said, to- I, I strongly encourage if that if a kid wants to go and have a profession, I'm going to go and I think I've got my report from the last time, which might go and tell me how many students we have. But I, I strongly, if a kid doesn't feel that that college is in their future, or if they're really interested in getting into. Um, Know, they know what they want to go and do in a specific field. That's, you know, construction or mechanics or uh, some of the IT stuff. Um, vocational is certainly a way. To, my son went to a vocational school.
0: Well, my uh, I talked to someone recently, and um, they are college graduate. They're professional, mm-hmm. whatever that really means. But, but their son just applied for the uh, – uh, he graduated um, – high school, and usually the parents would think, well, what college are we gonna decide to go to, and what field are you gonna uh, study? Turns out, he's going into the trades, and he's gonna be an apprentice. I think it's the, uh, um, I'll have to think a minute of what he told me, but uh, in any event, uh, when you compare the the uh, and there 's so much now discussion about uh, lo- loan forgiveness for college graduates uh, from years before still paying loans off you you go into um uh, an apprentice program and the four years that you normally take i think it's a five year program you're almost at a point there uh you're you're a journeyman in that in that uh, industry's occupation and um you're making money those four years, and your salary keep, or your earnings keep going up because uh, you, you're progressing in the with experience. So by the time if you'd gone to college, with with a six-figure debt, and just competing for a job out there in the job market, you, the, you know, if you had a twin brother that went to the into the trades, at that point he's he's, he's going to make more money than you're going to start making to help pay your loan. And you, he doesn't have any loans. He's probably got a car and he's got his own apartment and he might be in seriously getting committed to a relationship. It almost seems that, um, that being into the trades as opposed to college has a, has a lot of advantages that, uh, you, you, you wouldn't have and you're not going to get by going to college. And, uh, now I see a recent article that suggests that companies now are considering employing people who don't meet that college criteria for what used to be part of the resume uh, information that you had to put down because they're, they're looking at you as a person who potentially has the ability to do the job, even if you don't have a four-year college education. So it's kind of a mixed mixed kind of event and that... Uh, that the college education is great to get, but at the same time, uh, you, the horror stories of the amounts of money that people owe the, after they graduate, and it puts them in a position that uh, they're not going to be able to do a lot of the things that they thought they could right away, or for maybe in the near future, because they get that debt commitment, and that means that's a factor when you buy a house, or so you consider buying a house, or buying a car, or doing a lot of other things, so... It,
1: it, it's a tough call, I yeah. mean... You know, you know. I knock on the door and someone asks me, you know, how do you feel about the vocational schools? And I'm like, I, you know what, I, I, think it's a great opportunity. And like I said, my son went went to a vocational school, and then he went and he went off and got his went to college and got his uh, got his bachelor's degree. Oh, he did well. So he wears two hats. So he wears two hats. Yeah. Um, and it's understanding, like, you know, if someone goes and runs wants to go and run a business. The vocational school might go and teach you how to go and do the trade, but it doesn't teach you how to go and run the business. Someone might need to go and have that that bit afterwards if they want to go and own their own business, to go and get the financials and being able to read profit and loss statements and all the, the various knickknacks and, and bits that you need to go and actually run a decent business. Um, that being said, it, someone, is coming up, and they don't know what they want to go and do. There's affordable options that we always have. I mean, there's tons of uh, scholarships that we're offering. And in fact, uh, if any of the kids are watching this, make sure that you go and you talk to your guidance counselor and find out any scholarships that are coming along, uh, because that money is there for the taking, and you just got to apply for it. Um, but you know, the other thing is that sometimes kids don't know what to do. I I didn't know what I wanted to go and do going to college, I had the idea that I wanted to be a teacher, and I wanted to be a math teacher, and just, again, I was a poor student, and maybe it would have been better for well, me. Well, let's
0: say a different student, because that suggests that maybe you were, for whatever reason, you were glued to the book school, you go, maybe more social than you were academic uh, academic.
1: <laughs> probably more of getting locked into a video game somewhere, but... Oh, that, <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> well, that's a big...
0: Which reminds me, I meant to ask this earlier, the uh, iPhones and those kind of uh, communication, the kids leg around all day and they stick their uh, they're constantly uh, texting or whatever, they're playing games on them. What's the school's policy with uh, uh, kids with with those uh, type of items in, in the classroom?
1: Uh, you know what? I'm not immediately familiar. I think we go and we, we ask them to go in and, And uh, keep them down you know don't use them during the school day but of course honestly
0: you mean this is a voluntary program
1: i'd I'd have to go and review the i'd have to go and review the policy because i'm not intimately familiar with it and i think that uh it's hard again where we had we're coming out of the pandemic and all the kids got used to getting their getting their homework assignments on on this thing and some of them this was this was their computer you know if if the if the laptop was getting used by a younger younger sibling, it was a way for them to go and get some of the work done. Um, I'm sure that uh we want to go and make sure that the, it's it's part of the transition to go and see need, need to back off the technology, pay attention to class a little bit more um, and of course, that's hard nowadays these kids. Well, uh,
0: uh, as I think about it, uh, there was an article recently in the newspaper, one of the private schools Mm -hmm. uh, made a decision and they announced to the the students, these were the upperclassmen that they were not going to be allowed to bring their phones into the class so they can't, you know, hold it below the desk or whatever and and text or get messages or ask their friend what they're doing at three o'clock and so excuse me they were uh, not allowed to bring it in, and there was there was re- and they were going to enforce it. And there was a there was a, a strong opposition and response, a negative response by the students. But um, to go maybe tie in what you said about the the studies options. Um, once they got used to it, it ended up they, uh, from the perspective of what the school's observation was. There was more social interacting interaction among the students. And they got it along without it because they no longer had it and they didn't expect to have it in the classroom. And the, the school enforced the rec- the, uh, uh, the the uh, options. And so it got back to what uh, what it, w- the way it was before. And maybe that's a better thing because uh, uh, I, I used the classic case. I was at a, an airport one time years ago and we waiting for a plane, and there's someone standing up, and the whole time we're waiting, and it was a rather lengthy time between the, the departure time and when we were sitting there. Uh, he was uh, on his iPhone, and he was going rapid, mile a minute on it, and uh, I finally, just for curiosity, I walked it over to him, and I said, I, I said to him, either you have a lot of friends or you had a fight with your wife. And he said, "No, he's not playing a game." And so that, and the kids do that all the time. So I mean, that's sometimes uh, even when the, the, the coronavirus was in, unfortunately was in in place here, it was a lot easier at home to entertain yourself than it was to study by by remote control. So I think that maybe in some degree had a inhibit <coughs> inhibit the, the 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 productivity of the. Uh, of the students that were trying to study by uh, Zoom.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I think it's, and I also think that it's, I think the kids, you know, our kids that these days are, you know, there's some movements, you know, and and go a little technology free. Um, And I think it's more people that are my age uh, that I see that, you know, you go to a restaurant and, you see people going and having meals with their spouse, doing this. The whole, the <laughs> I whole see time. that all the time. And I and I and, and to be <laughs> honest, I am also I am also guilty of that because sometimes it's, you know, I'm on call or you know, uh, I've got a parent that just reached out to me about something that we were talked about the uh, AEAP or, or masking or whatever, and I'm like, okay, and I'm just trying to go and type, I'll respond to you later. And then I realize that I then I got to looking through my emails and. <laughs> Oh, Wordle. New game just came up. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Um, well, you, last year you had the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. This year you had a teacher strike. And uh, Malden not only has had a teacher strike, but were, Melrose had one, and there's other communities in the area had them. And now we're at a, a, a point where we're uh, in uh, – Los Angeles, the school system shut down, and uh, so the teachers have become quite militant and uh, that has an effect on on the school fourteen Marlon's case it was a brief brief strike mm-hmm. and um, was it uh, did you get much of a feedback either from the teachers or from the, from the student because it has a it has a negative effect on home, because number one, people anticipate the kids are going to be in school. And while they're uh, doing the doing the working hours, maybe for jobs, so they work they work away from home. And now, it's Tuesday, and they expect that the, the, the children going to be in school. That's what they planned last week, and all of a sudden, they're not in school because there's a strike. And so people ha- had to run around, and uh, improvise in terms of daycare.
1: Yeah, I, and you know that's that's the effect that we go and we have that unfortunately a strike goes and has on. Um, you know on families you know they so you know and luckily we resolved it fairly quickly and i think that uh i think if that if the teachers had been just a little bit more patient we might have not had the the one day but you know that being said they you know i think that they've got the like a lot of workers they have that right to go and say hey uh you know to bargain collectively uh you know, we've got a lot of union people that are throughout the ward. Uh, I'm not. I haven't been a, a, a dues playing union member since I worked at at, uh, at a supermarket when I was a kid. But you know, I paid the dues, and I got paid. You know, you know more than the some of the other kids. I got more had more money to go and get and pay for those video games and comic books and whatnot. Um, I think that uh, you know, we you know what we're seeing is is that we've got a lot of teachers that part of it is frustration with everything coming going through COVID, but it was frustrations that were bubbling up before then as well. So um, I don't I don't like strikes. I would have liked us to uh, have tried to resolve things before the strike. It got to that point, but I know that uh, my fellow um, school committee members, especially those on the negotiations committee, were committed to going and making sure that uh, we're trying to do everything in their power to um, to avoid it coming to that point. It just it was an eleventh-hour decision, so that they could, you know, be fair to the students because we couldn't have kids coming into the school and not having teachers there and not having enough people to go in and make sure the kids were safe on that on that Monday.
0: Well, I guess you said there was one day strike, so I would think that you weren't that far apart at that point where they walked off the Because, you know... It, uh, for for the for the listening audience, as uh, a uh, union member, uh, you, you're somewhat influenced, obviously, by the union's just position in, in negotiations. It's illegal to strike if you're a teacher. And it ends up, uh, in this instance, in here, even for one day, Malden was fined, the teachers of the union was fined a significant amount of money which um, is, I think, going to have to be paid back over five years. They've arranged to make it to pay to pay it back over five years, and uh, the fine itself. And I think there was another element involved with make a donation for the scholarship fund. So, mm-hmm. you know, the teachers indirectly uh, will pay that either with higher dues, and uh, which will maybe offset to some degree what whatever they gained from the strike. But s- s- other communities uh, that stayed out longer, they. They had uh, even a, a larger uh, uh, fines, uh, six figure fine.
1: Yeah, Woburn, I think was the was the heaviest that I saw. Right. And uh, you know, I've got I've got friends on you know both sides of the fence that were up in Woburn that are teachers, but also that were on the school committee, and and uh, that was a very that was very tough for everyone. Very involved. contentious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, And it happens, you know, we've only got, on one hand, uh, I'd love to go and give teachers and paraprofessionals and and everyone working for the school system um, as much money as I can because I think that they're really going and doing things that kind of, you know, drive our society, making sure that the, the, the kids are educated. There's not a teacher, or I should say there's very few teachers that I've met that have not been really... Passionate about what they do, um, and you know they suffer a lot of you know burnout because it's hard to go and deal with these kids day after day and and uh, parents and all the things and you know why didn't why did my kid get an a? I'm Like because they didn't pass the test, but I want to work with them and you no, know, you need to give them the A. And
0: <laughs> do they do they have policemen uh, as a uh, uh, Security people on premise during the school
1: day. Uh, we have a we have a resource officer in the high school. Yes. Each school. Uh, I think just in the high school. Oh, just in the high school. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, because there's been incidents that uh, in in the the larger metropolitan areas where there's been serious incidents relative to uh, concealed weapons, whether they be knives or guns. And they're young, even young, much younger than high school age kids. And um, obviously, they they, they had that uh, situation where someone was eight years old and shot the teacher, or six mm. years old and shot the teacher. So yeah, I was just uh, reading
1: about. I was just uh, reading an interview with the teacher today, and you know, thank God she's she's okay. But you know, luckily, and you know, one of the things that's that's great that we live in Massachusetts, where we have you know, very strict gun regulations, and it doesn't prevent someone from going and getting a gun. And it does, certainly doesn't go and previ- prevent a knife or, uh, uh, you know, some sort of device to go in and stab someone. I mean, you know, a pencil or pen. Uh, so it's one of those things where we should have the resource officers that we can go and we can lean on so that the teachers are not being police people. Um, and we also need to go and have uh, you know other resources like a, a school psychiatrists and social workers that are there, so that maybe we head off that kid that is getting bullied. That you know he's got they've got someone to go and speak to. Um, if we have a kid that's identified as being a bully, that they can get pulled aside and maybe redirected and figuring out what's going on. You know, like I said, if, if if money was no object, I'd go and hire a ton of school psychologists and social workers for for each school. You know, unfortunately, you know it, that's our that, that that's kind of what our, our our outer wall is. Is that you know we only have so much money to go and and work with.
0: Um, as an example, if you had a student, let's say sophomore's junior in high school, mm-hmm. and he, he he had some. Behavioral issues, uh, difficult to, to contain as a limit as sitting in a seat that's required by the classes in a progress, or there's an incident involving him, either a violation of school policy. And years ago, they used to separate that group and they had a separate uh, educational process for those kids. What do they do now? If you have a student that doesn't fit the profile. Of someone that can be in a classroom, not be disruptive to the point where he interferes with the educational process, then he's a negative effect on the, on his on his classmates, and he's and it makes it difficult for the teacher to be a, a teach. So he's moved out of that class, and what do you do with him?
1: Well, I mean, it, that's why we go and we have uh, you know individual education plans, and if we identify a kid has. Uh, has a need, like, you know, severe ADHD. I mean, I, I have ADHD, so sometimes it's hard for me to concentrate. Uh, I'm working really hard not to go and, like, bounce my leg right now or, or, or fidget too much. Um, and it's not because you're not a scintillating host. Um, it's just what is. And so what you do then is, you, you know, once once a kid is identified of having these situations and hopefully we've seen the buildup of this coming through that we've already gotten a plan in place to go and say all right you're acting out maybe it's time that you excuse yourself from the room for a couple minutes or hey we're going to go and send you off here um in severe cases sometimes is that you go and hit that a kid can go, has a, a monitor or um we have some of our um our support professionals that know that, you know, yes, I'm here to go and help the whole class, but, you know, I've got these three kids that those are the ones that I kind of go and make sure that if they're stranded, like I walk them out of the room before they get too disruptive. Yeah. And if we have a kid that, that it's a, a sudden onset, you know, again, we bring them to, uh, you know, we bring them to a school counselor. We bring them to, uh, you know, uh, to... An assistant principal we go and we bring him to uh, you know a psychologist or down to uh, the health center and say we well, you know what's hey what's going on I had something horrible happen in my life and they got they get a chance to talk it out and say okay well let's figure out why you're acting out like this and try to head it off before it becomes really disruptive kid snaps and punches someone because he's getting bullied and, or Because uh, there's something going on at home, or uh, you know, they saw something horrible going and happen in their neighborhood, and just being able to go and kind of try to go and head that off as much as possible.
0: But they don't have it. It doesn't get to the extreme where they would have to have home study program in place for someone that just was totally misbehaved to the point where he couldn't just be involved in a class environment.
1: Uh, we strive to not have that happen because that's that really, we want to go and make sure we've got the kids in because part of the education process, it's not just, it's just not uh, the reading, the reading, the writing and the, and the arithmetic. It's going and, you know, making sure that they know how to go and act around people and, and to be, to have some sort of, uh, you know, social cues and, and knowing how to go and be in a group and, and to behave. Uh, and it's part of it's part of what our duty is. Uh,
0: now, have they finalized the budget this year, coming up July first for the schools?
1: I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm sure that in the next in the next month or so, we'll be having a uh, a, a few things. I'm sure that uh, right now, our uh, superintendent Noriega Murphy and and in um, the business our business officer is going to be doing and. and Presenting us with uh, with a budget, and we'll be reviewing that. Yeah.
0: In, in spite of the difficulty with the, the, the coronavirus at the community level, um, in one way it's been uh, beneficial to the budget of the communities because it was a, there was a, an infusion at the federal levels down, filtered down to the states, which filtered down to the communities, where there's really, in some instances, more money been made available for education and other other community needs because of the of the of so the government coming in and giving them money that wasn't normally there, which, which won't be there in this coming year. Um, so, the, probably in all likelihood, I, I, th- I think that the schools would be competing for less dollars, although there, there is uh, expected that uh, there's revenue, j- j- the state's budget, was, which was just um, announced is about 15% higher than it was last year, which is a, a big increase, but the state has got other sources of money, whether it was from the gambling or from from uh, uh, what they anticipate is the, the million dollar class uh, ca- tax, mm-hmm. and although that's, that's that's being directed at this earmark for special places like roads and whatever. We could talk about that, because uh, you've been involved in that for, for, for ballot question, uh, but. Um, in any way, so the schools um, might have a harder time this year getting the, everything they need to do with it, which is uh, difficult to get anyway. But even to maintain what they already have, because the teachers are making more money, you're going to have uh, more staff, and, and, and schools uh, are increasing in population, literally. So you get all the things that uh, have dollar signs. So uh, yeah. now, how does Marlin do? um student population wise uh, you mentioned the MCAS that's mm-hmm. a, that that's a comparison with other other communities and um when it first was in it implemented years ago there was a lot of controversy about it and a lot of opposition and but it's been in place and how does Marlin do with communities of a relative size when they compared with their level of achievement i i know um uh i think i saw something in the uh, uh, that uh, one of the, one of the majors, major um, cities there they uh, they graduate uh, whatever population is graduating but it turns out that a substantial number of that group read, reads and does math and does other kinds of things at a much lower level so even though they have a high school diploma on paper they really haven't qualified to earn it but they got it because that's the system that's in place how, how does Malla do relative to other communities
1: well I, you know I haven't gone and looked in how we going we do uh, to other communities I do I do think that uh, I do think that um, you know again in a perfect world I'd love to get rid of a standardized test but it's 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 the law um, I think that this last year, we did we did really well. Um, there's always the um, there's always the problem because uh, Department of uh, Education, Secondary Education, Desi, um, kind of goes and, and holds the MCAS results as uh, as, as a stick braille. as the stick yeah. to go and make sure that we're oh. that we're hitting those numbers. And uh, the last few years, we didn't do great because. Again, COVID, we didn't have kids that were attending. It's been, It's certainly been a push to go and make sure that we get kids in to make sure that they're taking the test, taking the MCAS, um, because that's part of the stick is that they only say you didn't have enough kids taking it, the numbers are down, and we're going to threaten receivership. Um, and that's something that we really want to go and avoid.
0: Well, is that test optional by the, uh, the part of the students?
1: They can opt out. Uh, but, uh, you know, to be honest, I would go and I would strongly suggest that you don't because they tie our budget dollars down on that. <laughs> so, uh, it's kind of going and spinning in your own face to go and say, don't take the test. I don't love the, t- I don't love that we have uh, a standardized test. Um, but that being said, uh, until the law changes, um, just take the tests.
0: Well, uh, the other part would be that, um, Sometimes the money the town and city gets from the state, for educational purposes, is premised on what the test results are. The, the other issue is that the uh, I guess it's possible if if uh, if a student showed up non-performing at his level, extremely non-performing at his level, that if he had the marks to qualify, he'd graduate even though he appears appears he hasn't retained much of, uh, in terms of the learning process.
1: Well, I mean, there does come a point where, you know, kids age out anyway at I think at twenty four. That's that's when twenty one, I think. No, no, it's twenty four actually. Is it? Yeah, yeah. For, uh, I might be thinking of I might be thinking of special needs students, but I believe it's twenty four. Yeah. Um so if we have a kid that, that, you know, at that point that's that's where we don't have the responsibility of, of uh uh, of educating them anymore and you know, hopefully they've done well enough that they can survive on their own or they, they go and they move on to whatever
0: uh, oh, uh, 30 seconds 30 seconds I'll give you for lunch programs is it free lunches or, or eliminate uh, who gets the lunch for free
1: so right now this year free lunches that got passed in the state last year I'm advocating for us to go in and make that a permanent thing a hungry kid can't learn um i think that uh, also, if a kid uh gets if we go back to the, what we used to have that program where you could go and you could get where you could get a free lunch versus a kid that can bring in their own lunch it creates a stigma what we've got now removes it kids are able to get things that they want to eat and not having to worry about the bill at the end of the day um We should make that permanent because I just think that goes and helps every student that we've got.
0: And that's nutritious food?
1: Nutritious, delicious food. And I have to go and say, um, this is points to Jen Spatfora, who went and piloted this. And I really think that she did an awesome job. Every kid that I've heard that I've talked to says, I love going and eating lunch now.
0: Well, family's in the food business, so that's maybe why. But anyway, Keith, thanks for coming aboard, and I appreciate it. And hopefully that the next time you come aboard, you can tell us some more good things about what's going on in the school system
1: once awesome. again thank in you for being here today well thank you for giving me the time